Good morning. Uh, it has been more than a year since I stood here to preach. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah has uh, put together a preaching team with the goal of giving other people a chance to deliver a message on some Sundays. We have a schedule planned out for us. Uh, you should see me up here again in June. But of course, we can step up as needed, like today. We are backup preachers, kind of like backup singers, but not exactly like that. It would be a little odd if we were actual backup, backup preachers and, and we stood behind Jeremiah on the stage while he preached and we just repeated the things that he said. He would say, today we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 12. And we would all repeat, that's right, Hebrews, go ahead and turn there. There would also be a, a great temptation for us to start singing because backup preachers are not a real thing, but backup singers are. Today we'll be reading from Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. Nah, I don't know. I don't know what we would choose. Um, what style? Gospel singers? Greek chorus? Barbershop quartet? Eh, might be a little distracting. Hebrews, 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 chapter 12. I, I don't think it would work out. For those of you who do not know me, um, I came to UBC when I was in college. I also realized that this year, 2021, is the 30-year anniversary of me being a member of this church. <sighs> uh, I work primarily with the children's ministry. Uh, in the pre-COVID before times, I taught kindergarten Sunday school. I would go to children's camp. I did vacation Bible school. I worked in the nursery. In this new world that we find ourselves in, we are working hard to create different ways to reach the children of our church and train them up in the way that they should go. I have the great privilege of being the husband of the preschool and children's director, April Lentz. I love my wife very much. I do not love cucumber and lime Gatorade. <laughs> ugh, ugh. It's okay, she can drink it, I don't have to. Um, I'm also the person who keeps pestering you to make paper chains to bring up to church and hang in the hall. 365 links by March, you better get working. Oh, I'm sorry, have you not heard of the paper chains? <laughs> well, since I have the floor. Way back last March, uh, when we were under lockdown, I asked the kids to start making paper chains at home. One link for each day that we were away from each other and away from our building. The plan was that when the pandemic was done, we would all come back to church and hang up the paper chains in a hallway as a symbol of our unity during this tough time. Like everyone else, I figured this virus thing would wrap up pretty quickly, and it hasn't. We have returned to church, but only partially. We have started meeting together, but under some heavy restrictions. Um, so rather than having our paper chains stretch out until who knows how long, we've decided that we would mark the one year anniversary, and that would be significant. So if you are not making a paper chain, you certainly don't have to. But if it seems like a nice idea to you, go ahead and pitch in. In the middle of March, bring your chains up to church. We'll hang them up in the hall for you, and it will be a visually striking reminder of what we have endured together. On most Sunday mornings, I joined my wife in leading the children's message. Usually, by this time, I would have been out that door. So it's kind of nice to stick around and see what happens in this part of the service. That's not bad. If you've been watching April and me, you know that we often bring up some objects on stage to help the children visualize the message we're sharing. I think that is a great method of teaching, so I've brought some things to show you today. I also need a bigger table. Let's see. This, there we go. This is a medal for completing a 10K race. This is from a different 10K race, but it is actually a prize. It's an age-based um, category prize. This, yeah, 
This is a homemade medal for running a half marathon. And these two, oh yeah. These are marathon medals. This is what you get for completing a race that lasts 26.2 miles. Yeah, hear all that? It's the sound of victory. <laughs> I now need to let you know that not a single one of these medals is mine. They all belong to my wife, and she has earned them for running races. Occasionally, I will run uh, from my desk to the fridge, but I have never run a serious race. Uh, I do have participant ribbons from the 1K turkey trot that we run as a family on Thanksgiving mornings. Uh, and they're pretty, but uh, not as cool. Now bear with me, as the sound team also bears with me, and I try to take these off without wrecking my microphone. These medals represent the difficulty and the hard work that it takes, the commitment it takes to prepare for a race, to run a race, and to finish a race. Now, we actually are reading Hebrews chapter 12. Aha, I almost got it. We are reading Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, Hebrews. Uh, let's study those. Uh, we're studying the first three verses, so let's hear them again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we explore these verses, I have to say, our preacher has a knack for diving deep into fractional parts of Scripture. I was asked not to preach on this passage, and not on verse 1, but on the last one-third of verse 1. I get 11 words, and they are, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's an approach to Scripture that I actually like a lot. Too often when we read God's Word, we breeze through passages, especially familiar ones, without really noticing the depth that is there and the richness that can come in just a few words. So, this whole passage tells us that we're going to be running a race. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. First, we get ready for the race. We look to our great cloud of witnesses. We get encouragement. We remember those that have gone on before us. And we draw inspiration from them. Next, we evaluate our lives. We throw off our hindrances. They might be bad things, but they might be things that are just fine, but they're keeping us from living the life that God wants for us. We then confess our sins and set those aside so they do not entangle us. We get the right gear. Like she said, no steel-toed boots, no personal watermelons. Now we're at the bar of the verse that says it is time to run. And it's awesome because in this phrase, in this fraction of a verse, I can still find enough things to make a three-part sermon. Running, perseverance, and a course that is marked out for us. When April has decided to run a marathon, she schedules her training regimen. She trains and runs with her friend Sissy. To prepare for the race, they sit down with a calendar and a training chart, and they calculate the days and the distances they need to run. Their goal, of course, is to run a full 26.2-mile marathon. The training schedule is a very interesting thing. It starts off gradually, as you might expect, and the daily runs get longer and longer each week until race day. I say it starts off gradually, but day one is a three-mile race. 
I think many people, myself included, will look at the first training day and give up before they start. But a fascinating thing happens as you train under this schedule. Each week, the training length increases, but it's not a straight line up. You run for short days and long days. You might run three miles a day for a week, and then you have a long day of six miles. And then the next week, your short days are three miles and five miles and three miles, and your long day is 10 miles. So as each week gets more challenging, the short days where you run fewer miles are getting harder and harder, but the runners look forward to them since they're easier than the long days. I've actually heard April and Sissy say, thank goodness, we only have to run 12 miles today. Their diligence in their training and their faithfulness in their running means that they begin to look forward to challenges that they once thought were overwhelming. They stuck with the program and it paid off. They were able to run the marathon. And I was able to bring that medal up here and pretend it was mine. Running that Christian race is the same kind of thing. When you begin, when you have finally turned your life over to Jesus and you've said, I am no longer in charge of my life, but you are, that's when your race begins. Now, are you expected at that point to have an understanding of all of Scripture? No. Should you be able to expound on the finer points of the Chalcedonian Creed, the governmental theory of atonement, and infralapsarianism? Of course not. You're just starting your race. I don't know what those things mean. I just looked them up on Google so I could find some complicated phrases to impress you with. I had to practice saying infralapsarianism in front of a mirror. But once you start running the race of your new life with Christ, you should be getting stronger. You should be improving. Like the marathon training, when we work harder and we study more deeply, we get more skilled at running how God wants us to. Everybody doesn't need to get Master of Divinity from seminary, but you should have a better understanding of the Bible than you did when you were a teenager. Have you memorized the books of the Bible? Do you have a basic understanding of the order of events of the Old Testament? Do you have verses committed to memory? These are advanced skills that come from training and come from running hard. If you've been running the race for Christ, you should be gathering these skills. Run harder. Work better. Everyone does not need to sell everything they own and live like a pauper, but you should be faithfully giving of your time, your money, and your skills. Have you volunteered to help at church? Have you stepped up when someone needs you to give your time? Have you been bringing your offering to church? I was so moved by Bryce's story last week about how he and Melanie have done the hard work of not just giving their money, but increasing their giving every year. That is stewardship that looks like a runner, pushing themselves always to be better and better. Everyone doesn't need to pray beautifully crafted, poetic, awe-inspiring prayers, but you should have a greater depth with your conversations with God. Are you praying more deeply than good bread, good meat, good gravy, let's eat? Have you addressed, have you added prayers of confession? Have you spent a prayer time solely praising God? Do you keep a record of your prayers and write down God's answers to them? Go deeper, work harder, run. When I read commentaries on this passage, I found an excellent warning, McLaren's exposition on Hebrews 12.1, which was written some time ago, described what was then a new piece of technology that was on display in Paris. It was called a moving sidewalk. Now we see these most commonly now at airports. Remember airports? Remember flying? They're, they run down the terminal and you step on them and they carry you along. They let you move faster. Last week, uh, our family went to the mall 
haven't been to the mall in years, even pre-pandemic times. And my son Peter has only been once or twice. But when we were there, he really, really wanted to ride the escalators. So each place we found one, we rode the escalators up and down. Inexpensive family outing. An interesting thing happens on escalators, though. Almost every single time, a person will step on an escalator and just stand there. They are stairs, you know. You can walk up and down. Just because they are moving doesn't mean that you don't have to move. But no, people stop, and they just let the stairs carry them forward. This was the warning that I found in that commentary. Too many Christians treat following Jesus like an escalator or a moving sidewalk. They get with Jesus, and they just stand there, expecting him to carry them along. That is not what Hebrews tells us. This verse tells us to prepare and then to run. Not walk, not just stand there, run. Now, it is far easier to walk or stand there or go take a nap. Running makes you tired and wears you out. We need something to help us keep going. We need good words of encouragement. And thankfully, there is an awesome word in this verse. The word persevere is one of my favorite words. I currently have a desk job in IT, but my first career was as a public school teacher. One of the best teaching tools I came across was a set of vocabulary words. And they are words that were specifically chosen to be taught to children because they are high vocabulary words, college-level SAT words, but they have a very simple, easy-to-understand definition. So we had a word card for extricate. All this means is to get out of something. You're trapped in a net, extricate yourself. You're trapped in a bad situation, you're around people you shouldn't be, extricate yourself. Complicated word, easy definition. We have this word, hirsute. It just means hairy. Look at that dog, he's real hirsute. Wonderful. We learned this word, which is so much fun to say, ennui. Everybody say it, ennui. It just means boredom. I've got a feeling of ennui. It was so much fun to have a kindergartner come up to me and say, teacher, I spent an inordinate amount of time scrutinizing that book, and I need a repose. I spent a long time reading, can I have a break? The first word I would always lead with when I started teaching was persevere. It means keep going. It means don't give up. And I started with this one to let my students know we were going to be doing some hard work in school, and I wanted them to have a word of empowerment, to say, yes, this is hard, but you can persevere. Persevere is the perfect word to describe what is happening and what we need in life, especially now. I don't want to run down the list of terrible things that has happened to humanity this last year, but one thing fits very well with what we're talking about this morning. We were supposed to have an Olympics last year, and we did not. The Olympics have only been canceled three times since 1896, and each of those cancellations has been because of a world war. At the moment, the 2020 Olympics are only delayed until this summer. But who knows what's going to happen? Have all the Olympic athletes just been sitting around for a year, saying, well, I did a bunch of training earlier, and it's probably going to carry me through until next year, so I can just take it easy. No. They are continuing to train, continuing to push forward, and continuing the hard work. There is a quote that I love, and I tried to track down the source of it. Sometimes internet research can be a little tricky. I have found this quote attributed to Paolo Coelho. Tom Brady used it on Twitter. 
William Sapphire included it in a book, but as best I can tell, it is actually attributed to former President Richard Nixon. And the quote is, a man is not finished when he is defeated. He is finished when he quits. This sums up beautifully the situation we find ourselves in now. So many defeats have come our way. We have suffered as a planet. We have suffered as a country. We have a steadily rising death count. Our world has been upended by this virus, and it would be so easy to say we are defeated. But we are not defeated because we're not quitting. Setbacks are not the end. Delays are not the end. Interruptions and altered plans and new timelines are not the end. When this virus hit and we learned that we could not come together on Sundays and worship as a family, did we quit? No. We said, let's do the hard work to make it happen. Oh, it's a lot tougher now to, to gather food and take it to people. Should we stop? No. Let's do the hard work and make it happen. Now, it looks like Sunday school isn't really going to work out. Should we quit studying the Bible? No. Let's do the hard work and make it happen. We do not quit. We do not give up. We persevere. This virus has changed so many things. So it would be easy for me to talk about only hanging in there for our day-to-day -day life. But this verse in Hebrews is not just about persevering our daily hardships, even the incredibly difficult hardships. It's more than that. We are called to persevere in our Christian lives. I love the fact that when Jesus told his disciples to follow him, he was honest. He was very clear that it would be difficult. The road we walk with Christ is narrow and incredibly challenging. How hard is this journey? Give up some things you like. Set aside your sin, not just the big stuff, but the little ones too, the ones that so easily entangle us. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Face persecution. No wonder we're given this encouragement to persevere, to keep going and to not give up. Be tenacious in your faith. Tenacious means holding on tight. This life with Christ is a race. It is a struggle that we have to put effort into. It is painful to me to watch the news and see people doing terrible things in the name of Jesus. And it is then hard to tell other people, oh yeah, I go to church, I'm a Christian. Knowing that they can go back and say, oh, Christian, huh? Yeah, I saw what you guys did. I don't want anything to do with that. Persevere does not just mean endure or be patient. It does not mean just sit by the side of the road and put up with everything. It is an active word that means pressing on. We are called to put work into this every moment, every day. Do not sit by the sidelines. In one of the races April was running, she was running with her brother, and they were tired, and they were hungry, and they ran past a pizza place. And they said, we could go in there and have some pizza. But they remembered, no, we're doing the work to run a race. We are not going to be distracted. We are not going to stop and take it easy. We are going to press on. We are going to persevere. Long-distance runners know that they are expending a tremendous amount of energy when they run. They need to drink water, and they need calories. Their perseverance uses up their energy, so they refuel. Last week, April showed you the energy chews that she eats when she runs. She's got that Gatorade. Ooh. Uh, the watermelon that we showed last week, the children's message, is an impractical snack. It would be delicious after you run. But during an actual marathon, some amazing things happen. First of all, the race organizers usually have something ready, usually just water at the beginning of the race. But the real treat comes at the end. Once the runners have left the starting line, 
the feast gets set up. They set out tables and tables with water, bananas, oranges, watermelon that's actually been sliced up and easy for you, snack bars, granola. At the end of one race, they had fajitas. That's not even the best part. All along the marathon route, people set up tables with cups of water and food for the runners. Sometimes they're set up by organizations like fire stations or a Boy Scout troop. Sometimes they're just people who live near the race course and they want to do something to help. They all know that running a race is hard and runners need to refuel so they can persevere and people want to help. I was waiting at the marathon finish line for April and Sissy to cross and I saw an awesome thing. A man was standing there with a takeout bag from Wendy's. He's just standing there, not eating. And then his friend came running up. The man pulled out an enormous double bacon cheeseburger and handed it to the runner who wolfed it down and kept on running. Some of you are doing great in your Christian run. You have the strength and you are running with ease. If this is you, then you be the encourager. You set up a table to help refuel your brothers and sisters. Share a verse that's important to you. Buy a book for someone and ship it to them. Find an inspirational song and send it on. You provide the support that helps someone else to carry on. You be the one who brings a double bacon cheeseburger to another runner. You can be the one who helps someone else persevere. So, we press on with our running. We help out others when we can, but why? We got all our stuff and our energy and running where? What are we doing this for? Why is this happening and where are we going? The last part of this verse has a hopeful blessing for us. The path that we are supposed to run has been marked out by God. I want to say that again. The path we are supposed to run has been marked out by God. We are great at making plans for our lives. We make five-year plans. Uh, we think about different careers. We envision what we can do when we retire. We make plans for our children and how their lives are going to turn out. But too often we forget that God has marked out a path for all of us. He knows the plans he has for us. Check the Bible for people who try to make their own paths. Gideon was finally ready to fight the Philistine army, and he had gotten a big army of his own, 32,000 soldiers. But God said, actually, the path I have marked for you is with only 300 soldiers, less than 1% of what you think you need. But with that army and with God's miraculous help, they defeated the Philistines. Philip was preaching in Samaria, performing miracles, drawing crowds, doing the Lord's work. And God said, actually, your path is out in the desert. That's right, the desert. Go stand out by the road out there. Why stop all that good work that Philip was doing? Because Philip needed to speak to an Ethiopian who was returning to his country and help him understand Scripture and baptize him. Abram was just living his life. And God said, go. I have a path for you. But I'm not telling you where it is right now. Just go. And Abram became the father of a new nation, a nation which led to the birth of Jesus. God has marked out a path for each of us and has asked each of us to run it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, here is where the racing analogy begins to break down a bit. When it is time to run a foot race, a 10K or a marathon, the course is very clearly marked out for you, and you are expected to run the full distance 
like everyone else. They don't let you run marathons and look for shortcuts. You can't say, well, it looks like the race course goes way down here and way over there, but we're going to end up back where we started, so I'm just going to jog around the block and cross the finish line. And no medals for you if you do that. However, the paths that God marks out for people are different. We don't all start at the same time. We don't all finish at the same place. We don't all have the same path to run. My mother was recently honored at her home church for her many decades of service in their children's ministry. She got to say a few words during the recognition time, and she was adamant in her speech that other people in the church were equally worthy of recognition. God's path for my mother led her to teach the children of the church and to raise up other people to be teachers as well. And she was highly visible on that path. Everyone knew who she was and had had a child come through her class. But she spoke of all the other people who were on other God-appointed paths, but who did not get seen. How many people have a God-appointed path of quietly serving others? How many paths are privately writing letters to encourage people? How many paths are cleaning the church, or setting up tables, or making the microphones work? How many paths are the faithful, praying alone in their homes, never seen by anyone, doing God's work? Run the path that God has given you. It is yours. He has chosen it for you. He has a plan, and he wants you to be a part of it. Now, do understand, I am not talking about the sadly mistaken idea some people have, which says, oh, okay, well, well then all paths lead to God. So I'll just take any path I want, I'll do good things, and we're all going to wind up at the same place, right? That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I am not saying you choose your path, and if it's different from other people, that's fine. No, I'm saying seek God's path for you. He has one for you. And if God's path for you is different than his path for someone else, that's fine. I'm also not talking about predestination because I don't have enough training to get up here and talk about predestination. When I read about the people in the Bible, it does seem clear to me that these people did have choices. Eve and Adam chose their disobedience. Jacob chose to deceive his father. Solomon chose wisdom. Christ chose the cross. God grants us the ability to choose. He marks out the path, but we do the running. In the book of Esther, we hear about how she is faced with a difficult path. Esther was the queen, and her people, the Jews, were in grave danger of being executed across the entire country. Esther could go and ask the king for help, but since she had not been specifically summoned to see him, there was a huge risk. People who tried to go talk to the king without express permission could be killed on the spot, even if they were the queen. Esther was facing a path that might end in her death. It was very deleterious deleterious, harmful, or destructive. At that moment, her uncle Mordecai says some powerful things to her. And one thing he says in chapter 4 is, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God is faithful to his people, and Mordecai knew that. Esther had a path marked out for her, but if she hadn't taken it, God would have still saved his people. But Esther would have missed out on being part of God's plan. Although it is not a perfect analogy, the image of running race is such a powerful one. There is so much depth to it and so many ways that each of us can connect to it. Our goals as runners in our faith is not just to coast. It is to find our pace 
And to run that way, oh, it's to find the pace, it's to run that way. But it is not to say, this is all you do for the rest of your life and never change. Our goal is to run with perseverance and to get better and better. You may be running in a huge race with lots of spectators and everyone is cheering you on. So how can you be a better runner? Practice your humility. Don't be arrogant. Bring others along with you. Share the spotlight. If you have people's attention, share with them. Let them know why you run and inspire them to do the same. You may be a runner where you run alone and no one else is watching you, just you and God. How can you be a better runner? Invite one other person to run with you. Share your stories and your favorite verses with that person. We are meant for community, and it is not good for us to be alone. Reach out to someone, maybe someone else who is running alone, and connect with them. You may have been running for a very long time, and you're getting tired. Tired of the same old Bible stories, the same old songs, the same old sermons. And you need God to give you a second wind and keep you fresh for the race. How can you be a better runner? Dig more deeply into the Bible. Read it cover to cover, even the boring parts. Start reading commentaries. Read the word in a different translation. Be quotidian in your Bible reading. Quotidian, it just means daily. Why does this word exist? This is way too complicated. Daily. You might be a brand new runner. You might be a new Christian who doesn't really get all this terminology and symbolism and church traditions. You might not even really be on board with this whole running analogy anyway. How can you be a better runner? Find other people who have run further down the path than you and who can point out some pitfalls that may be coming. Find others who can cheer you on so that you don't quit just as you're getting started. You may have thought that you were running a marathon, but it turned out to be a relay race. You may have run and run and run and never seen the prize. You may have never seen how your running has helped anyone, and it's disheartening. And how can you be a better runner? Remember that God knows about that. He tells us about it very clearly in his word. Some plant, and others water, but God makes it grow. Some have done the hard work, and others have taken up the labor. Persevere and know that you do not run in vain. God has a path for you, and although we may never see the fruits of our efforts, God sees them. You may be a runner who does not know your path. You feel lost and confused, and it looks like everyone else has got it all figured out. How can you be a better runner? First, believe the fact that everyone else does not have it all figured out. Ask God to show you your path. Try lots of different things. Volunteer for different activities. Actively seek new ways that you can be God's light to the world. Spend your time pouring into the lives of others. Pray, but don't talk. Just listen. Listen for God telling you, yes, this is your path. You may have thought that you would get to run down a beautiful country road on a perfect spring day, but instead your path leads through the valley of the shadow of death. How can you be a better runner? Cry and mourn and weep. Seek rest in God and hold on to the words that tell us, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You may be someone who has not even started running the race. How can you become a runner? There are not enough words to describe the amazing life that comes from knowing Christ and accepting him into your life. He has run the race 
just like the rest of us, and he knows how hard it is. Accept the free gift that he offers, the gift of salvation. Ask someone here how you can do that. There will be rejoicing. You may have thought that you were going to run your race on one of those nice spongy tracks at the high school, you know, where you just go around and around. And it's not the most exciting path, but at least you can focus on your running. And then it turns out that your path is an obstacle course with walls to climb over and mud to crawl through and sharp, painful barbed wire that rips and tears at you. How can you be a better runner? Read God's Word and find all the stories of the other runners who have suffered before you. Remember Job, who lost all that he had, and he suffered the scorn of his wife and his friends, but who had everything restored after he demonstrated his incredible patience and faithfulness. Remember Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused and imprisoned, but who was in exactly the right place to save two nations from a famine. Remember David, chosen to be king, but hunted down by enemies, forced to live in a cave, separated from his friend, but who became the greatest king of Israel. Remember Paul, beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, mobbed, whipped, and imprisoned, but whose letters have shared God's word with billions of people. Remember these stories and draw strength from them. We know that others have come before us and others have come after us. We know that the Son of God himself ran this race all the way to the cross. So, let's carry on running. Let's persevere. Let's find the path marked out for us. We look to each other. We look to God. We take our rest from his Holy Spirit. And then, we keep running. Pray with me. Help us, God. Help us run. Help us persevere. Help us to see the path that you have marked out for us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to mount up with wings as eagles. Help us to run and not be weary. Help us to walk and not faint. Amen.